It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, no relationship to Kim Jong-un. I'm a left-wing pundit and a writer at The Atlantic and Vogue. And I'm Andy Levy, former Fox News and CNN HLN guy and current cable news conscientious objector. And I'm producer Jesse Cadden, and I'm here to make sure things don't go too far off the rails. We're here to have fun, smart conversations with the wisest and funniest people in science and media and politics that help make what's happening today clearer. Our world has been turned upside down, and on The New Abnormal, we'll talk about the people who got us into this mess and how we'll hopefully get ourselves out of it. What a fun show we have today. The nation's Ellie Mistal is going to come and talk to us about his new book, Allow Me to Retort, along with some of the legal fuckery that's going on in Texas right now. Then we're going to talk to Alexander Sherba, who spent 26 years in diplomatic service, including as Ukraine's ambassador to Austria and author of Diplomatic Thoughts. And he's going to tell us about the situation in Ukraine from the ground. But first, let's have some fun. Andy Levy. Molly Jongfast. Today, it's another day. It's another insane day (laughs) in our insane political world. I thought for sure that when Russia invaded Ukraine and the tanks rolled, I thought for sure the far-right industrial media complex would not be able to message Putin, Russian lives matter. I didn't know if they'd be able to sort of thread that needle, but I am disappointed to report that Russian propaganda has once again taken over right-wing media. Are you surprised, Andy Levy? I am a little more cynical than you, Molly, so... (laughs) As having worked at Fox. Yes, exactly. I'm a little less surprised, but uh, what I find very interesting is that we now have Russian state media uh, making people like Tucker Carlson a mainstay on their programs. They, They show clips of his show every night. They show clips of him bashing the American media for being one sided in in what is a, you know, one-sided invasion. How dare you not take Russia's side when they invade Ukraine? How dare you? I know. A lot of what they're doing is both sidesing it, which is just as dumb. I mean, because, you know, you literally have a one country sitting there and the other country rolls its gigantic military across that country's border and somehow both of them are to blame. What we've got here now is we've got Tucker Carlson on Fox News and Fox News was pretty famously, you know, basically state media during the Trump administration for the American state. And now it's still state media, but it's just a different state. It's Russia. It's, it's like they can't help themselves. They have to align themselves with a state. And, and they've now decided that Russia is that state as opposed to America, because America is being run by, you know, the communist Joe Biden, who wants to inject all your children with microchips. Life-saving vaccines. Or life-saving vaccines. Tomato, tomato. I'm going to come back from way back when, in 2016. Russia did an incredible job, and anyone who was on the internet knows this, 
of sowing these rumors about Hillary Clinton that were Hillary's health. Remember Hillary's health? Yep. Remember, you know, you would have these sort of like incredible spirit cooking that John Podesta and Hillary Clinton were cooking children. I mean, you know, they would be these crazy, crazy theories, but you would, but they would, you would see them everywhere, right? You'd see them on the sun. You'd see them on these far right, you know, newspapers. You'd see them and maybe it wouldn't be the full story because that could be libelous, but it would be sort of tipping its toe into asking questions about maybe it was possible that Hillary Clinton had pneumonia and was in the hospital and maybe Hillary's body double? I'm just asking questions. So anyone who's on the internet sees that this, that right now, the Russian invasion to Ukraine, you're starting to see the same kind of stories pop up that were the same kind of stories we saw about Hillary Clinton in 2016. You know, these kind of just asking questions. So this Russia propaganda has decided that the biolab theory is the kind of you know, this is biolabs, right? And the idea here, it's pretty stupid, but that Ukraine, can, there are different variations on this propaganda, but basically Ukraine and America were making viruses to kill Russians. And that's why Russia invaded Ukraine. Okay. And the interesting thing is like, at least when we America made up weapons of mass destruction. We had the good sense to do it before we invaded a country. Like <laughs> not mid invasion. They're they're backfilling here. Like they invaded the country and now they're claiming these labs were never mentioned before the invasion. And now all of a sudden it's like, well, we we had to invade because they have these bioweapons labs, which they don't. But it's like, you know, at least use that as a pretext the way we did. It just seems more logical to make stuff up before you do something than after you do it. Well, I also think that ultimately with America, we're not as good at propaganda. They have weapons of mass destruction. Well, okay, maybe they don't, but we're already in there. So right. I do think it's important to say this because I've seen this floating around and I think Anna Navarro on The View said that she wants the Department of Justice to investigate Tucker Carlson and Tulsi Gabbard and people like that as being, you know, basically Russian agents, paid agents. That's absurd. And let's just throw that out. And it's incredibly unhelpful. And Anna Navarro, I'd like to say should know better, but maybe she shouldn't. I don't know. I don't know enough about her. But None of these people are being paid by Russia. They don't have to be. <laughs> They're doing this on their own. And you can look at, like, Tucker Carlson is not a paid agent of Russia. But the thing is, what would he be doing differently if he were? And the answer is nothing, really. So he's doing the work. Let's throw out being on the Russian payroll. Let's just get rid of that. The point is that he is doing the work in spreading these Russian fairy tales and he's doing it on his own. He doesn't need money from them. You know, he, he married into that. He doesn't need their money. <laughs> then he brings Glenn Greenwald on every night who is... Right. Is, who may be paid. Yeah, I mean, that is I can't leave. I know, I don't think he's not paid for Russia. Yeah. I know what you're saying, but no. <laughs> but, but he's certainly more... He seems even more paid by... I mean, I think that it's important. I think you're right. And, and like, ultimately, we need our DOJ, Merrick Garland, if you're listening to this, to fucking investigate Donald Trump. God damn it. Like, this is what you should be doing. Like, no pressure, but come on. Like, fake electorates? Like, do that shit. We don't need you investigating 
propaganda, I mean, first of all, it will backfire mightily. I agree with Andy here. But also the other thing is, like, they're just asking questions, and maybe they're doing it to be contrarian. I mean, it doesn't even matter why they're doing it. What matters is that there needs to be more just transparency in American media and more talking about, you know, whatever debunking of their talking points. Yeah, I mean, and you brought up the biolabs and, you know, it's been made very clear why Ukraine had biolabs to look into infectious diseases, as most countries do have these labs. And the fact that trying to make a big deal out of the, out of, out of the fact that well, Ukraine is trying to destroy these labs because they're trying to destroy evidence of weapons. No, they're trying to destroy these labs because there are incredibly dangerous pathogens in them. And that's the first thing you do if you think there might be an attack on, on the lab is you destroy the stuff that, if it leaked out into the air, could kill a lot of people. It's one of those things where your jaw just drops because the the truth is is so obvious here. And yet somehow Tucker Carlson can have people like Glenn Greenwald on and they can spin entire segments and talk for days about what this might mean. And clearly the American government is lying about this. And it is amazing to me. I am all for not trusting the American government and not taking anything the government says as gospel truth without investigation. I It would be nice if they also applied that standard to Russia, a country <laughs> which, you know, sort of has a worse history than us in, ter- in terms of the government just outright lying, which is not to excuse any of the lies that our government has done throughout the years and decades and centuries. But to sit there and and think that the way our government has lied is in any way comparable to what Putin does on a daily basis is insane. But somehow he gets a free pass. And yet, God forbid you say that these people are pro-Putin, they will jump down your throat, you know, even though everything they do is basically in defense of him. And it's just unbelievable. How are you not embarrassed, if you're Tucker Carlson, that your clips are being used by state media of any country, let alone one that just invaded? How are you not embarrassed if you're Tucker Carlson? You can just end the sentence there. I, I, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but you, every once in a while you see something and you think, you know, maybe this should lead to some soul searching, even though you know it won't. Right. The top line of what you're saying is that a lot of these conservatives are not necessarily paid Russian assets. They're just assholes. And so yes. they're taking the <laughs> Russian propaganda line not because of a paycheck, but because, the, you know, it's, it's a little bit subversive and they hate the Democratic president and the Democratic Congress and the Democratic Senate. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. You're a lot more concise than I am, Molly. <laughs> well, I, I was just listening to you. <laughs> so we have an interesting situation here where a theoretically Democratic congresswoman is at war with a theoretically Republican senator, and yet it's not exactly like that. Tulsi Gabbard is a Democrat, sort of, from Hawaii, very beloved by the right-wing media, has recently shown that she got campaign donations from a Russian asset. (laughs) Confusing, perhaps. And she is being called out by Republican Senator Mitt Romney. Discuss. Yeah, I guess this sort of goes back to my Anna Navarro thing. So basically, Tulsi, this woman who turned out to be a paid Russian asset, donated, I think it was like 50 bucks to Tulsi Gabbard. So 
again, I think just this goes back to the point of they don't need to buy these people. I don't think Tulsi Gabbard, you say what you want about her. She's not cheap. You're not buying her for $50. It's going to cost you a lot more than that. And I think, you know, Mitt Romney is now calling her treasonous. And again, no, she's not. Like, she sucks. She's awful. And she's a featured CPAC speaker. And nothing she has said is treasonous. It's just stupid. And we have to stop using these words. Treason has a very specific definition, particularly when you're a senator and you're hurling that charge at someone. Mitch should know better than that. Ana Navarro may not, but Mitch should know better than that. He's a smart guy and he's been around. There's nothing that she has done is treasonous. That's treasonous. She doesn't read people well, I think. <laughs> I think if we've seen anything in her life, she, does, she doesn't really read people well. I just want to defend Mittens for a minute here. And I'm not saying this as someone who is pro-Mitt because I have very mixed feelings about the man and he did put his dog up on the roof rack. So I've never really gotten over that. But I just want to say, and look, you know, Mitt has had many opportunities. Like Madison Cawthorn is saying worse stuff than Tulsi Gabber. Yep. And he, he should be calling out Madison Cawthorn too. And and Tucker Carlson. I mean, there are there are many, many people that Minton should be calling out. But Tulsi Gabbard is parroting false ru- Russian propaganda. That's indisputable, right? That first line, everybody, that's not even like opinion. That's fact. Yes. Her treasonous lies may well cross, cost lives. Again, treasonous lies... It's not the same as saying she should be hung for treason. Like, I just, I want to defend Mittens. I think he's mad, and that's how a very venerable and elderly statesman of Utah gets mad. But I don't think, you know, I, I, I don't think... Is that the Mormon version of cursing? Is that what you're saying? Mm. Yeah, I think he's, you know, I think he can't curse. He's very kind right. of restrained. I think sure. he was trying to say that the lies were, I mean, again... I am in no way defending him except a little bit. I don't think he was calling for her to be, you know, executed. I think he was more saying, you know, treasonous for him is the same as saying an F star star curse it for us. I hear you, Molly, and I see you, and I respect you. <laughs> and yet. And, and yet I find myself saying <laughs> no. <laughs> I mostly agree with you. I just think when you're a senator, you have to take a little special care and you can't use a word like treasonous. First of all, we're not at war with Russia, so I'm not sure we, the treason if, is against Ukraine, right, I guess, right, right. if anything. If he had just left the word treasonous out, I completely agree that her lies may well cost lives. If he had just right. said that, I would have totally agreed. I just think you got to be careful with a word like treasonous when you are a powerful person in in a government position. That's my only problem. Other than that, I think everything Mitt said was correct. As opposed to our favorite Lindsey Graham, who recently (laughs) tweeted about going to war with Russia. I mean, that was something. Like, again, like what he said about, you know, someone should assassinate Putin. I don't, I'm not saying I disagree with that. I'm just saying you're a sitting U.S. senator you're a member of the United States government, you shouldn't be calling for the assassination of a foreign leader. <laughs> that was amazing stuff. I mean, that's like... Yeah, yeah. That, like, you're a senator. 
like you can't tweet stuff like that. I mean, it's funny. It's in a way like Trumpism has has released everyone into just doing crazy stuff and thinking, well, it might help them with the party. No, I think that's 100 percent true. I think this is all, you know, most of this is a function of what happened between 2016 and 2020. The word shit has become common on cable news. And bullshit. I have, <laughs> right. I that is shocking to me. I, I mean, you know, I, I'm not. I'm. I'm not even saying I'm opposed to it, but. It's just, it's a complete and utter sea change from where we were. Like, I remember, you know, when I was uh, part of the SE Cup Unfiltered show, when when Trump said his shithole countries thing, and we had to sit there and we had to get from, you know, should we say shithole? Should we say asshole? <laughs> you know, what do we do? <laughs> Basically, we asked for guidance, which is what we should have done. And we were told that, you know, it's okay to use it when you're quoting him, but, you know, you don't need to keep saying it over and over again. And now I just see like there are guests that come on cable news and they're just like, this is bullshit. And this, I'm like, all right, but all of that, and again, I'm not even opposed to it. I'm not, you know, I'm not quite old enough to be like, you kids with your language. But four years ago, if you went on cable news and said bullshit, you would never be asked on again. Like that would be it. It would be the sign, a line in the sand. And now. Yep. I know. So I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right when it comes to, you know, what what we see now with people in Congress and other positions like that and what they will, the language they will use and the things they will tweet. And Lindsey Graham, of all, the, the guy's been a senator for 74 years, I believe. <laughs> I think it's 174. It might be 174. I, yeah, I know. I guess that's right. And he knows that as a sitting senator, you're not supposed to say someone needs to assassinate a foreign leader. Like, he knows that. But he also knows, like you said, he knows, like he's, I mean, all he's doing, he's sucking up to, you know, whoever he's sucking up to there. And and he just, you know, because the lesson they took from Trump is people want this kind of talk. They want grab him by the pussy kind of talk because that that's what makes you a, look like a tough leader. And that's, that's the lesson they took. And that's what we're seeing. So I, I think you're absolutely right. Incredible stuff. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, there's something I've really been needing to get off my chest lately, which is that everyone and their mother should listen to the Andre 3000 album because it lifts my spirits on a regular basis, 1000%. We all carry around different problems, big and small. And let's be honest, when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. That's where therapy comes in. It's like this safe space where you can unload all those burdens and start figuring out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy can make a difference. I know this from firsthand experience, and it's not just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for anyone who wants to improve their mental well-being. Therapy can help you learn coping skills. It can teach you how to set better boundaries, and it can make you be a better version of yourself. 
If you're considering therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, which means it's convenient, flexible, and fits into your schedule seamlessly. Plus, getting started is as easy as filling out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And the best part? You can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. So why wait? Take that first step towards a happier, healthier you with Better help. Get it off your chest with better help. Visit betterhelp.com slash the new abnormal today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H E L P dot com slash the new abnormal. Ellie Mistel is a columnist at the nation and the author of Allow Me to Retort, a black guy's guide to the Constitution. Well, welcome back to the new abnormal, Ali Mistel. Yeah, thank you for saying welcome back. I'm like, I'm, ain't my first rodeo. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not. <laughs> it, 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 we're always happy and thrilled to have you. First, I want to talk to you about your brilliant book, Allow Me to Retort. Talk to me about, you write about everything. You're one of the people I go to for my Supreme Court hot takes. And they're not hot takes. They're really substantive takes, but... They are also hot. How do you write a book in the world of five-minute news cycles? Look, this is my first book as well, so the, the process was was a virgin process to me. I, I didn't know what I was doing, and so that kind of freed me also from having to, you know, I'll do it like, like, like my grandfathers did because my grandfather didn't write a book, and he certainly didn't write a book during COVID. <laughs> I was lucky. I, I write for the nation normally. They gave me a, a month sabbatical to really focus on the book. So it's like 70,000 words, and I wrote, you know, maybe like, Ten, the first 10,000, just to make sure I knew what I was doing, between, let's say, uh, Memorial Day and Labor Day. Um, and then I took a month off in December, and I wrote like 50,000 of them. Jesus. Once I know what I'm, where I'm going, I kind of, I write pretty fast. You know, I had the research, most of the research done by the time I hit September in terms of which cases I want to use and that kind of stuff. Um, and so I pumped most of it out in a month. You know, as they say in the business, some post-production in, in January. <laughs> <laughs> And then, you know, editing all throughout February, and then it was and then it was ready to go. It's almost like a series of long Atlantic articles. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, that's what we do, man. Right? Because of the format that I chose to go with, kind of going amendment by amendment almost, it lended itself not only nicely to a chapter book, but also just from a 20 or so distinct essays. Right. More self-contained. So what's the best amendment? <laughs> No pressure. Oh, yeah. that's easy. 14th. 14th. Without a doubt. I thought you were going to say the second because you said that to one. But yes, I guess that makes As sense. I write in the book, look, I, I can write a whole constitution. All I need is the 14th and maybe the first. I can get everything done that I need to get done to have a free, fair, equal, safe society with the 14th and the first. I mean, think about equal protection of laws, right? So that, that buys me out of so much of white male bull crap right there, right? Boom. Like, you want to have... Uh, Access to your uh, reproductive rights? Well, does a man? Yes. Well, guess what? Equal protection. We're done here, right? Yeah. You want to own a slave? No, can't do that. Why equal protection? You want to uh, deny somebody housing? No, can't do that. Why equal protection? If you don't like equal protection, we've got substantive due process in the very next clause of the amendment, right? Boom. That substantive due process. That just means things need to be fair, y'all. Do you have to make a reasonable accommodation for a person who has a disability at work? Absolutely. Substantive due process. Boom. We're done, right? 
So like the the 14th Amendment like does the things it was written to do the things. If white people would just let it do the things, <laughs> we'd have a better country. Yeah. What should we do to fix the Supreme Court? I've asked you this like 50 times. I've asked you this on the podcast, I think the last time you were on, but I feel like we can't get enough of you on this topic. So The court needs to be expanded. There is nothing that people want that can happen without Supreme Court approval in this justocracy that we happen to be living in. The Republicans do a great job of explaining that to their base voters. So Base Republican voters know that if they want to keep their guns, they got to keep the Supreme Court, right? If they want to bully trans children in bathrooms, they need the Supreme Court. Like, whatever it is these bigots want to do, they know they need the Supreme Court to do it. But liberals too often do not understand that you need the Supreme Court to do what you want to do. So, you know, take the the, the kerfuffle, and I was going to say current, if uh, as if you know Biden and the Democrats still care. I don't know that they still care, but let's pretend that the that it's a current kerfuffle over voting rights, right? And the right. desire to pass uh, the John Roberts Voting Rights Act and the Freedom to Vote Act. What makes liberals think that the six three conservative Supreme Court will allow those laws to take effect? Right, it will not. John Roberts already eviscerated the Voting Rights Act in 2013. What, did he go someplace that I'm not aware of? (laughs) Like, he's still there to do the same thing with new laws, right? So if you cede control of the Supreme Court to Republicans for a generation, you cede voting rights to them for a generation, you cede cede LGBTQ rights to them for a generation, and you cede climate rights uh, to them for a generation— and there's no getting around that. That means they control what we do about climate until the 2060s. Yeah. And I think that's clearly... Or you put more justices on the court when you have the chance and you say, let's go. You know, the, the usual conservative counter-argument, well, well Republicans will just, will just pack the court. So what? <laughs> How is that worse? <laughs> They're up 6-3 now. We make it 13-6. Then later they make it 16-3. How is that worse? Right. So I don't care about Republicans repacking the court. In fact, I think packing the court now makes it very hard for Republicans to control all of government again, because to control all of government, you need to win elections. And it's hard for Republicans to win elections when Democratic courts allow everybody to vote. So I'm not worried about repacking. You know me, Molly. I've got in the book. I make an argument that we need to add twenty justices. I'm not even. Well, the thing that I think is so interesting, and I mean, I think it's really an important thing to talk about is that you and I both sort of agree with this. Like, I want to say that we're young. Obviously, we're not young, but we're younger than the Biden administration. I feel like that older generation is like, well, we're Democrats. So we are, you know, we maintain the status quo and Republicans do crazy stuff. And then we, you know, go back to the middle. And and I think that hasn't worked for us as Democrats. And I think it's really time for Democrats to be bold and to think in a bold way as opposed to a defensive way. Do you think I'm right here? Yeah, so one analogy that I've made is that if you think of a seesaw, you think about the fact that the Republicans have put an elephant on yeah. one side of the seesaw, right? Yeah. You, you can't balance the seesaw by standing in the middle. Yeah. You're just going to slide towards the elephant if you do that, right? You balance the seesaw by putting an equal opposing weight on the other side of the seesaw, and you hope it doesn't break. What you don't do is stand in the middle and slide into the elephant's you know bosom. That's silly, right? A big reason why I wrote the book, Molly, is because you know one of the criticisms 
criticisms I saw on Goodreads was that this isn't going to change any minds. This isn't going to convince any Republicans. Um, wanted to be like, what makes you think that I'm writing for Republicans? I'm like, what? Like, why are white conservatives convinced that everything in the world is like for them? Right? Like, I'm not. I don't care about white conservatives when I write this book. I'm not trying to change their minds. They're too far gone. And if they weren't too far gone, they're not listening to, to a black guy with crazy hair. Like, that's just not <laughs> happening, right? Right. I'm writing the book for liberals, almost specifically for white liberals, to show them how to fight for our shared values and our shared rights. Because mm. Democrats cede entirely too much legal ground to Republican arguments, too much intellectual sound ground to Republican arguments, and just too much space in general in our society to Republican BS. And there's no need for it. So, like, I articulate in the book different ways of fighting for things that most people on my side agree with, right? You want a different way to fight against the Second Amendment than what they've been doing, a different way to fight for abortion rights than what they've been doing, a different way to fight against police brutality than what they've been doing. Stop ceding some of these arguments to these bad faith actors and start fighting for what we believe in, because that's what Republicans do. Republicans never and don't miss a day to fight for their culture, war, value, bullcrap. Yeah, it's sort of amazing. And I feel like Democrats are constantly a little bit scared of, you know, expressing their true opinion that everyone should vote. The president of the United States right now cannot say the word abortion. He doesn't want to say the word abortion. Yeah. Republicans are acting like they are on a crusade to stop a baby holocaust. Right. And the Democratic president doesn't want to say abortion. In the, just in case you're wondering, I have an entire chapter titled The Abortion Chapter. Because it's a word. It's a word that we have to yeah. fight for. And so, you know, you know, uh, Republicans, we got to stop killing babies. Democrats, it should be safe, legal, and rare. Right. I just I just think that it's, it's it needs to be safe, legal, and rare. rare. Can, I, can I say rare again? Like, what, right. the, what the heck? Like, how is, how is that joining the, you know, taking the field? in the trenches against these people. It's not. Talk to me about the most recent conservative justice goes to speak for a Republican audience and threatens them about ever changing the makeup of the court. Yeah, so Clarence Thomas, who most people know right now is married to Ginny Thomas. <laughs> Famous for her work during the January 6th insurrection. Right? Right? Yeah. Uh, married to noted insurrectionist uh, Virginia Thomas, uh, goes to the Orrin Hatch Center Foundation in Utah to give a speech about how Supreme Court justices aren't partisan, which, I mean, come on, dude. <laughs> come on. Man. I know, right? <laughs> you're, you're talking at the Orrin Hatch Foundation, all right? Man? Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not showing up at the Clinton Foundation to be like, I'm a nonpartisan. I'm just a regular guy. Like, that's not that's not how that works. Come on. Remember when Amy Comey Barrett went to the McConnell Foundation? To, <laughs> the, she went to the McConnell Center, I'm sorry, to uh, discuss how she was not a, quote, partisan hack. I was like, oh, OK. Right, with Mitch McConnell sitting right next to her, by the way. Right. <laughs> that's right. So Thomas goes to, to the Orrin Hatch Foundation to talk about how the Supreme Court is a partisan and how we shouldn't expand the Supreme Court. Um, and I'm quoting right now, by doing this, you continue to chip away at the respect of the institutions that the next generation is going to need if they're going to have a civil society. This man, 
fixed his mouth to talk about chipping away at the respect of the Supreme Court when his wife is writing checks all over town for insurrectionists. Like, that's what this man is doing, right? Jane Mayer and The New Yorker, and eventually The New York Times uh, got got a clue as well, have both done exposés recently on the 30 years long career that Clarence Thomas's wife, Virginia Thomas, has working in partisan Republican politics, working for litigants who appear in front of the Supreme Court, and and even literally pinning awards and medals on certain litigants before they show up to her husband's court. And he wants to talk about institutional respect. The dripping hypocrisy should outrage people before you even get to the stupidity of the statements, right? (laughs) He says this is a cancel culture attack. I mean, what is that's another thing, right? Conservatives use this word like it can mean anything. It's just it's the new Coke, man. They use the word cancel culture to describe anything they don't like at this point, right? Right. I got I got arrested for, for stealing a TV. Cancel culture. <laughs> it's true. I got cancel culture for stealing the TV. Yeah. I almost feel like cancel culture at this point is it's almost like a Republican dog whistle. Like it never means anything but a sort of straw man. They've taken any potential meaning out of out of the phrase, but the audience knows what they're talking about at the same time, right? Right. That's how dog whistles work. They know that they've lost something that they want for some reason and that they should be against it. Right, 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 right. God forbid a male in American society ever faces consequences. God forbid. Right, exactly. <laughs> I Again, I want to talk to you about Texas because there are two rulings I want to talk to you about. But what I think is interesting to me about Texas is they really have just decided they're going to make their own laws over there. And that's it. SB8 went to the Supreme Court. They decided that if they like the substance of the law, they don't care how badly it's written. And so Dayenu, right? And now they kicked it down to the lower courts. The lower courts said basically what we thought they would say. And now that stands. And then we also have this other ruling with the with the Texas court bullying trans kids. What do you think the substance of what's happening in Texas is? Texas is a rogue state. I've written about this for the nation. It is no longer adhering to the constitutional order. It's It simply does not think that the laws of the nation apply to it. This is not the first time in, in society, in American history, that we've had a rogue state, you know. South Carolina, circa 1857, 58. Right. Getting pretty roguish. Right. Um, um, there. Right. Florida, circa 2000, pretty rogue. Yeah. And Texas is, 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 in, is in their cups, as the kids say, and has decided that it's just not going to listen to the constitutional order. When that happens, there are two options for the federal government. One, Ignore it, which is what Biden has decided to do. Right. Two, send people to the rogue state to enforce the law. Right. Which Biden has chosen not to do. Now, obviously, I think we should do the latter. A Republican president would have done the latter. No question. To a Democratic rogue state? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. right? They would have relished that. It would have given them a chance to look strong and military, and, you know. Right. They would have goose-stepped. Fundraised off it. Right. To Long Island City, if need be, right? <laughs> yeah. But we're not, we're not sending people to Texas to help um, American citizens who are being caught in a rogue theocracy. What, what I've written about for, for the nation is that we need to send doctors. The key thing that Texas is denying people 
is medical care. And again, the conservatives want to, oh, they want to talk about baby Holocaust. They want to talk about uh, all these culture war issues. No, it's a doctor issue. It's a health care issue. Pregnant people and trans kids need doctors, and Texas won't let them have doctors. So send federal doctors right. and send some police forces to protect those doctors and their patients, if need be. Problem freaking solved. But Biden doesn't want to do that. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much, Ellie. And it was great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Alexander Sherba has spent 26 years in Ukrainian diplomatic service, including as Ukraine's ambassador to Austria, and is the author of Undiplomatic Thoughts. Welcome to the new abnormal, Alexander. Thank you. You have been a diplomat in Ukraine. You're not in Ukraine right now. I am in Ukraine right now. You're somewhere safe, though. Uh, yeah. The last couple of days I'm uh, in Western Ukraine, not in Kyiv. What is it like there? It's not safe anywhere in Ukraine, quite frankly. Uh, there are uh, Today there were three times when the sirens were wailing. Uh, the other day there was a, a big bombardment uh, of... Um, Military object here, here in the neighborhood, Russians shot 20 rockets uh, in this direction and 35 people uh, were dead, so 200 wounded. So it's, it's uh, the new abnormal in Ukraine right now. Yeah. I mean, are you surprised at how well the Ukrainian military has resisted the Russian invasion? Well, everything about this war is uh, is surprising, uh, starting with the fact that it began, because the, uh, the, the reason why Ukrainians, uh, including President Zelensky, seemed uh, uh, to be skeptical about it from the very beginning and until the last day was that this war is uh, makes no sense. The goals uh, that uh, Putin is... Uh, pursuing here are unreachable. Uh, he is trying to conquer a country that hates him. And uh, uh, during this war, uh, he will only reach that this country hates him much, much more. Plus, people start hating Russia, which uh, wasn't the case for at least half of the population. The day before it all started, I had a conversation with a uh, a member of parliament uh, who said there is no chance uh, we will hold through at the best uh, 72 hours. It's one of the best uh, armies in the world. I, I said, well, we have 200,000 uh, men with combat experience who are ready to fight. It can't be that fast. He said, you don't understand how formidable this army is to the north. And then uh, this whole thing starts and uh, we see, A, that uh, Ukrainians are extremely, you know, capable uh, of stopping the enemy and extremely motivated, and the enemy is not as formidable as we thought. Yeah, that seems to me like a kind of humongous miscalculation on the part of Putin. Do you think that's true? One should understand uh, the context of the Ukrainian-Russian relations uh, since uh, centuries. Uh, Russians always uh, saw Ukrainians as uh, uh, a part of the Russian people, just uh, who, for some reason, choose to speak this uh, funny dialect, who are peasants uh, inferior to them. Yes, they have beautiful folk songs. Yes, their women are beautiful. Yes, uh, their food is uh, delicious. But other than that, they are not worthy of uh, respect. They're hillbillies. This is uh, the context. And then, of course, 
two decades of Putin's propaganda preaching that uh, Russia is unstoppable, Russian army is uh, the best. And uh, seems like Putin fell uh, victim to his own propaganda, seems he still is, quite frankly, because I'm not sure how much of the reality he is aware of right now. Yeah, let's talk about that, because when this invasion started, I thought to myself, and again, I don't know, you know, this is very far out of my window of of expertise. But what I was reading and what I was watching on television was this this idea that this very well-trained army would decimate this country rather quickly. And I'm just curious, you have been involved in so much international diplomacy and international relations. How much do you think that Putin is actually getting of what's happening right now? So there has been this very revealing article in New York Times uh, last week uh, by Zigar, that's one of the best experts on uh, intimate circle of the Kremlin. He writes that basically Putin was never um, very, you know, uh, open person who received information from various circles. He doesn't use internet. He is very much a uh, uh, 20th century uh, leader who receives only this uh, uh, debriefs on paper uh, that is prepared by very close uh, circle of his confidantes. And this uh, became extreme during the pandemic where the circle of people who were accessible, uh, what access to him, became especially uh, close. And apparently there is only one uh, of his uh, friends from the KGB time, Yuri Kovalchuk, who is close to him. And they uh, spent weeks, uh, months uh, talking to each other and, uh, you know, concocting this uh, you know, plans of uh, world domination, it sounds more and more like uh, uh, insanity, you know. Uh, and quite frankly, he made this uh, statement recently that he found out that not only contract soldiers, uh, but also drafted soldiers uh, were involved uh, in uh, this uh, campaign and uh, he will punish each and every one who is responsible for that. But probably something is leaking to him. Uh, but there are uh, uh, thousands of these, you know, drafted soldiers. Maybe he doesn't understand how much, uh, how uh, widespread it is in their army. And these young boys, uh, mostly they have no idea what they are doing in, in Ukraine. They come with this conviction that they would see two categories of people here, the Nazis, and people eager to be liberated. And he sees neither. He sees neither. They see neither of those two categories. These are people who have normal lives, who are not Nazis, and who are ready to fight. And they are extremely demotivated. So let's keep going on this thinking. Now we're seeing clearly Putin must know the war is going somewhat badly because he, I mean, if this reporting is right, Russia has gone to China for backups, and they want foreign soldiers involved. So clearly, um, Putin must see some of this. Can you explain to our listeners what the landscape looks like and who will help Putin and who you don't think will? Well, I think pretty much everybody outside this, you know, very, very close circle uh, around Putin understands that this campaign is going down the drain. Just even Lukashenko, uh, at least uh, his generals, 
should realize, uh, because judging from the reluctance of Belarus to send uh, any manpower towards Ukraine, probably they understand that either. We received these reports that soldiers from Crimea uh, refused to, to be deployed in Odessa to fight for Odessa. Simply, the, 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 the ships, the warships uh, approached the coast and then all of a sudden stopped and turned away. And so we in Ukraine were clueless what was happening. And then it turns out that soldiers starting to realize where they are being sent, refused to. So if even Russian or Crimean soldiers, Belarusian soldiers are refusing to get involved, why would China want to get involved to, to, to hitch their bandwagon to this, uh, to this you know, campaign? Uh, the other day there was this article in uh, one of so one of the pundits in China uh, published it, uh, uh, elaborating quite clearly uh, that it would be extremely damaging for China to get involved with uh, uh, something so badly prepared and so badly organized and so badly motivated. So what would be the reasoning? But again, uh, there are so many things surreal about this whole what, what events of the last uh, uh, almost three weeks uh, that... Uh, I wouldn't exclude it in that, that China, for some reason, would get involved. Where do you think this goes now? Putin has two ways ahead of him. Either he destroys Ukraine and uh, so, so turns uh, Kiev and uh, Kharkiv and all our beautiful cities uh, into Aleppo and then withdraws, or he withdraws without doing that, because he cannot accomplish here anything. These people don't want him. The soldiers are ready to fight until the last drop of blood here, Ukrainians. And uh, uh, Russian soldiers increasingly are clueless about what they are doing here. So uh, what remains to him is uh, rely on uh, shelling, on uh, bombard- bombardments, because it's much easier, easier, you know, they have absolute superiority in the air. So they would just bombard. It's easier um, to... Uh, you know, bombard cities uh, without uh, facing any risk or uh, facing little risk or then uh, go into face-to-face combat with big, big likelihood that you would be, uh, you know, shot down, shot uh, down, blown up. Um, So these are two ways ahead of him. I hope, I hope that he hasn't lost completely his sanity uh, and would choose for, you know, some kind of diplomatic solution. But on the other hand, everything he has been doing so far is so insane that nothing, uh, well, it's, it's better to assume the worst. It's interesting because you are seeing in uh, the Russian separatist areas, the cities that Russia is continuing to bombard, that the Ukrainian people are not having it. What do you mean the Russian separatist areas? The areas that Russia has occupied in 2015? Yes, that the that you're seeing they're sort of, from those areas, they're sort of pushing out into like Mariupol. Do you want to explain to our listeners what's happening in Mariupol? Well, Mariupol is one of the most ethnic Russian uh, cities, uh, one of most Russian-speaking cities in Ukraine. So it, uh, it's supposed to be an easy target for uh, Putin's troops. And all of a sudden, they are fighting like hell there. Uh, Moscow says it's because uh, nationalists are there. So it's not quite true. There are some nationalists, uh, uh, you know, units there. But there are many people from eastern Ukraine who, who just understand that if Mariupol falls, 
then uh, it would be big likelihood that uh, Ukraine would be cut off uh, from big part of uh, its uh, considerable part of uh, its uh, Black Sea coast, and Odessa would be under under siege. People are fighting there, and uh, Putin. Uh, unable to uh, do anything about it, he is turning it into inferno. I mean, we have, uh, according to Ukrainian sources, uh, there are over 12,000 uh, dead Russians in this war, and people think it's uh, it's probably overestimated. Naturally, nobody knows for sure how many dead people are, but uh, when you listen to these intercepts from conversations of Russian soldiers with their parents or with their dear ones, Practically in every conversation, they speak about my whole unit uh, is gone, my whole regiment is gone. Out of uh, uh, 1,500 people, there are 300 uh, alive. It just—it seems like they are really, really losing a lot of manpower, specifically there in Mariupol, uh, also in other places, of course. But this is very important because of the Black Sea coast and because Russia wants to gain ground uh, uh, in proximity to Crimea. Yeah, it seems like it. So what do you think Ukraine needs from the United States right now? Give us the ways to defend our skies. I understand that you don't want to close the skies, but then give us uh, fighter jets, give us uh, air defense systems, modern. I mean, you are really the most uh, uh, sophisticated, advanced uh, army uh, uh, military power in the world. You have uh, supplied us with the anti-tank rockets, uh, these uh, famous javelins, and they were amazing. They really made so much difference uh, uh, in this war. And it's just one piece of modern machinery from the United States. If you give us more of what you have, we could really, especially to defend our skies, we could really beat Putin here. We could really turn around the flow of history here. Just have a little bit of courage. Help us with with modern weapons. Thank you so much for joining us. This was amazing. Thank you, Finn, for inviting me. What's crazier than QAnon? More outlandish than Pizzagate? And scarier than a Mexican getaway with Ted Cruz? The answer is what the American right wing has planned next. Be one of the first to listen to Fever Dreams, the new podcast from the Daily Beast tracking the conspiracy slingers, orange acolytes, and straight-up grifters pushing to retake power. Every Wednesday, hosts Swin Subasang and Will Summer check in on the movement of the radical right. Head to thedailybeast.com slash podcasts or your favorite podcast player to catch the first episode and get subscribed. That's Fever Dreams, which you can subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. Andy Levy. Molly Jongfast. Who is your fuck that guy? My fuck that guy is a titan of industry who (laughs) reminds a lot of people of uh, the Marvel superhero known as Iron Man, a.k.a. Tony Stark. And they often forget that Tony Stark is a dick. (laughs) But I'm talking, of course, of Elon Musk, who has taken a break from uh, developing self-driving cars that will more than likely end up in a lot of deaths. Can I say that? He's doing his other, his non-paying job, which is shitposting on Twitter. So he had two tweets in the span of two hours, I believe. One, he said, I hereby challenge Vladimir Putin 
Uh, he used Russian, he used Cyrillic uh, characters to spell out Vladimir Putin, by the way. He said, I hereby challenge Vladimir Putin to single combat. Stakes are Ukraine. So he wants to fight Vladimir Putin. And if he wins, I I would like to think that means Ukraine is free. But what I think it means is that Elon Musk gets Ukraine, first of all. <laughs> Second of all, he is basically taking it upon himself. I, I know we're treating this with more seriousness than we should, but he's such an idiot that I, I we just have to. Like, so if he loses, Putin gets Ukraine. Should the Ukrainians have a say in this? Like, don't, no. don't they get to pick a champion? And Sadly, maybe they could no. pick like The Rock or John Senna or someone <laughs> like that, as opposed to little uh, mushy Elon Musk. Let's let the Ukrainians decide this one. And his other tweet is just because he's, you know, he's part of the uh, the anti woke brigade. And his other tweet was sort of a meme type thing that had a, well, I'll read it first. It said, A mushy headed guy. Yeah, it, it, had, it had a picture of a dude that looks, I guess, pregnant or something like that. I can't really tell. And above it, he described the picture as Netflix waiting for the war to end to make a movie about a black Ukraine guy falls in love with a transgender Russian soldier. And I'm just reading this and I'm like, by the way, it has 773,000 likes on Twitter. Yeah. If you're one of those likes, it might be time for a little introspection. (laughs) It might be. They sit there and they complain that, you know, oh, we shouldn't be teaching people about trans people and, and we shouldn't be trans people need to do this. That's all they talk about. That's all they talk about. Like, there were, you know, no, no transgender person is calling for Netflix to make a movie about a transgender Russian soldier. This is all in your head, buddy. <laughs> you know, you <laughs> like the fact that this guy runs major industries, including SpaceX, which I sort of I at least used to really like because I do think we need to go to space. But it just bums me out so much because he's just such a horrible, horrible human being <laughs> on a very personal level, I would like to say fuck this guy, Molly. I mean, he is really a candidate for why some people should never have Twitter. I went and did a tour of Tesla, the company, a long time ago and thought, like, this guy's a genius. And now, wah, wah, wah. Maybe there should be, a, like, if you make a certain, if, if you're worth a certain amount of money, you're not allowed on social media. <laughs> A modest proposal. I did happen to notice this that the news came on the same day that the mother of his children is dating a transgender person, and I know he's very good friends with one Kanye West now. feel like that friendship might be rubbing off on him and not putting out aggressions in your personal life onto social media. You know what? I didn't even think of that. That's actually an excellent analysis, Jesse. So my fuck that guy is uh, not a guy. She's a woman. She's married to the worst Supreme Court justice. Is he the worst? I think he's the worst. Yeah, I guess he is. I mean, it's hard because Alito continues, but I still think maybe he's not as bad as Alito, but he's he's tied. One, Ginny Thomas, she's married to Clarence Thomas. She, uh, there's been long speculation about what her involvement with January with the January sixth insurrection was today. She just went out, gave an interview to the Washington Free Beacon, which is basically a Republican oppo shop, and she said to them, you know, I was there. I didn't give them any money. I didn't pay for the buses. (laughs) 
which I guess is good, but I was there. I got cold, and then I went home. Okay. I mean, talk about saying the fucking quiet part loud, you know. And she said, well, we have the same, in this interview, she said, Clarence and I have the same opinions, but we don't, uh, you know, we don't talk about our work together. I guess her work is insurrection and his work is Supreme Court. So, I mean, seems like uh, could be problematic. Again, I would hate to cast aspersions, but uh, she definitely gets a hearty fuck you from me. There's a couple of things I really like about this story. One is she got too cold to (laughs) uphold her principles. I like that a lot. I was there to protest something I feel very strongly about, but I I got cold. I enjoyed that. (laughs) And then the fact that she says that they do not talk about their work at home. I'm not married, but that strikes me as A, not a common thing in a marriage, and B, not a good thing in a marriage. Well, I'm just saying that Matt Greenfield and I never talked to each other, but if we did, we would certainly (laughs) not talk about the insurrection that I was involved in. <laughs> so basically, he he gets home from the Supreme Court and she says, how was your day? And he says, oh, fine. <laughs> and he says, how about yours? She said, oh, fine. And that's the extent of their work, of, of their discussion of how their day was. My guess is that he comes home from the Supreme Court and she says, how was it? And he says, I'm not at liberty to speak to you about this. <laughs> I'm not at liberty to speak to you about this, but your clients will be very happy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> On that note, we'll wrap this episode of The New Abnormal from The Daily Beast. In future episodes, we'll be talking to smart folks from The Daily Beast and beyond from media, culture, politics, and science who will help us understand what's happening to our country and the world. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and share the show on social media. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again on the next episode. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.